Welcome to the TrackQuest Podcast. I'm your host, James Orr, and joining me today, Robert Borland, my co-host. What up, Rob? How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm super excited about deer season coming up. How about you? Oh, yeah. The, the fall is here. The leaves are falling. It's raining outside. It's snowing in the mountains. It's time. It's pouring, and I, I'm, I've been out uh, doing some scouting for deer and hanging some tree stands and uh, been out kind of looking around what's in the ag fields and been seeing uh, a couple young bucks chasing does already. And so I, I'm in full blacktail mode, and, and I just can't wait. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's only a few weeks. I mean, what's today, the 19th of October? Oof, less, less than a month, a few weeks away, we'll be after it again. So that's yeah. it's coming fast. It's got time to get ready. And I'm going to be an old man here in nine days. About when this uh, airs, I'll be turning 39 years old. Oof. Jeez. Sucks to be you. I'm telling you, that 40 is coming up fast and... Yeah, my my uh, oldest daughter is going to be 13 the day before. I'm starting to feel uh, like uh, I might need a, a cane or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. weird to be getting close to 40 because, you know, when you were a kid, you used to think, I, I can remember looking at 40-year-olds and being like, that guy's old. And now I look at myself and think, I'm I'm almost there. Yeah, I we just got some new mountain bike trails here in town and, I went and rode them after work, and I ended up crashing my mountain bike. I went over the handlebars and just totally ate it, and my buddy was behind me, and I knocked the wind out of myself, and I bruised my ribs, and and uh, I was like, man, I'm getting old. Like I remember I used to wreck my bike all the time and just get up and go and wreck it again, and I mean, I'm, I'm like, this whole uh, getting old isn't for sissies, that's for sure. No. The difference is, too, when you do something like that now – when you're laying on the ground, the first thing you think is like, oh, crap, did I, you know, what's broken? Did I break anything? You know, like, no. am I going to be able to make it to work? When you're a kid, no. you just jumped right back up. That's a sign well, that you're getting old. No, honestly, I, uh, honestly, straight up, the first thing I thought of was my shoulder. And then I thought, is this going to affect my bow season this year? <laughs> honestly, I, right away, I hit my, I, I hit my, my chest and my shoulder and I thought, if I just screwed up bow season for mountain biking, this was not a good trade. And uh, Jason Sankoviak uh, from the Traditional Bow Hunting Wilderness podcast, his son broke his arm, and he was like doing something. I forgot what his kid was doing, but he says, uh, "When you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes." <laughs> that is the funniest thing I've ever heard, man. That's, that's so true. <laughs> and, and, and then I thought of that. I was like, "Well, here I am." Playing stupid games, and uh, I may have just won myself a stupid prize. No bow hunting this year, but but uh, I'm gonna be fine. I, I'm gonna have a hard time sleeping on my rib cage, but I uh, and and I'm not shooting my bow for a couple days. It's a little sore, just like when I breathe. But my shoulder is totally fine, and everything will be just fine. Well, good, you got lucky. Yeah, I did. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to be a little more conservative when I do my downhill mountain biking for here on out. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh who who do we got uh on the podcast this week, Robert? Uh tonight we got probably one of my favorite guests so far. Well, I think he is. Just Warren Womack. He's a good old boy from Louisiana, just a regular blue-collar guy. 
a retired electrician, and he is a hunting machine. And what a what a pleasure to talk to. Just a super good guy. You guys are going to love it. This guy keeps stats and a journal on every day that he hunts. Which is, and, by the way, like over 2,000 days he's been hunting. Yeah, over like 2,000 days. He's 73 years young. He's been... Uh, bow hunting um in like 15 states he's a whitetail nut he he's one of i mean he's been hunting mobile like it seems like the the real popular thing right now is public land hunting uh, mobile tree stand hunting self-filming well he's been doing he started <laughs> doing all that in the 80s or 70s well, i think the 70s yeah like 72 or something so yeah i think i think he started self filming in the ni- in the in the 90s but he's been since the 70s he's been hunting public land with a uh, uh, stand on his back scouting for hot sign and hunting hot sign and he is like he said he was just a machine and he's just a super likable guy um i definitely want to get him back on the podcast we could have talked to warren just all day long he is a stud and plus we were calling him late at night you know we got well james has a real job so so uh you know we we usually do these kind of late at night our time which is three hours later in louisiana and he's just like okay sure just a study works out every day i mean just a great great interview so yeah and he 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 at 73 years young he's on instagram and facebook and he's working out and listening to podcasts and he's trying to just keep his body and mind strong so he can keep bow hunting and he's got a goal to uh to take a white tail at 80 years old so 80, I, mean, I think he said 85 i think 85 years old yeah. yeah so i mean if if you guys can't look up to that what i don't know what else you can look up to i mean that it's it's truly amazing so uh, I hope you guys enjoy this one because we sure did. How you doing How tonight, you doing? Warren? I'm doing fine, thank you. I don't know about that legendary <laughs> part, though. I don't know. That's not what we've heard. <laughs> well, I don't know. You can't pay attention to a lot of that stuff. <laughs> uh, what, what part of Louisiana are you from, Warren? I'm uh, about uh, probably 25 miles north of uh, Baton Rouge. In a little little community or a little town called Clinton, we live kind of southeast of it, about six miles. Oh, very nice. Uh, why, don't, why don't you go ahead and give us a, a little introduction of uh, uh, how you got into traditional archery and uh, whitetail hunting, and when this all started for you, and uh, a little a little cap on that. Okay. Well, you know, even as a kid, I always had an interest in in, uh, in bows and arrows and guns and like that. I don't think you'd find a picture of me when I was a, a, a little kid that I didn't have a bow or a gun in my hand. You know, it's just just kind of like a family tradition. And, and uh, uh, as far as uh, when I started traditional, well, that's the only thing they had when I first started. I started bow hunting in 1968, and uh, that was before the compound bows got here. And uh, I hunted with trad bows or, or recurve i had a a, a browning explorer one i think it was not not a brown yeah i think it was a brown explorer one uh bow that i, I started off with and uh i hunted with it till 75 and i i had a guy that had a little uh 
little home uh, shop uh, that that he had a little archery shop backyard business, and he called me. He knew I was bow hunting, and he called me and told me they had three compound bows coming to him, and he was going to take one. Had another guy spoken for one. He wanted to know if I wanted the other one. And I'd never seen one before, so I went ahead and uh, and told him I'd take it, and then had it for three days, and went on a trip to Colorado. <laughs> so and, uh, this... I hunted with with the uh, compound until. Through the 92 season, and I started the 93 season. I went back to a recurve, and uh, I got I just bought a, a Damon Howard Hunter from a uh, archery supplier. Started shooting sometime in April, and uh, I'd always before I got the compound, I'd always use sights. That was kind of the big deal when you shot uh, shot bows to have sights on them. But when I got my my Damon Howard, I, d- I decided I was going to shoot just bare bow, and and I worked on it all summer. And then went into my first season with it, uh, 92, 93 season and had a, had a rough start at first and, but it turned out pretty good. And I've been trad ever since the next year. I got a Cadian Woods bow that I shoot to this day. I got it for the 94, 95 season. So your, your first compound was when the compound first was basically invented when it first came out. Pretty much. Uh, I'd never seen one before. I saw them in magazines and everything, and, you know, I was real curious about it. Uh, I was doing fine with my recurve. It just, it was like the, the next step up at the time, you know, something, something that I was interested in, and I got it, and I set it up uh, one day and then shot it the next day and then left for Colorado with it and brought it with me, to, and I hunted with it, too. And uh, so, I, you know, I stayed with it pretty good. I went through, I think, four different four different compound bows and then and then i went back to that uh to the recurve and for the 93 94 season what made you decide to go back to the recurve well i killed 175 deer with the compound so you know it got to be just uh not easy but you know it just uh didn't have the challenge plus uh trad bows were starting to get a lot of notice by about the end it was kind of a swing up everybody's getting interested in them and of course, the Wessels were shooting them, and, and they had a few other well-known celebrities, that, not celebrities, but well-known uh, traditional bow hunters that I was reading about got them. And I got, I got interested in it again, and, and uh, I, I said, you know, I'm going to make a commitment. The first year back, I said, I'm going to get this thing, and I'm, I'm going to hunt with it the whole season, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to touch my compound bow. If I even I won't kill a deer, and I was used to killing a lot of deer with that compound. So I made a commitment to it, and it wound up turning out pretty good. I think I killed nine that first season back with it. <laughs> wow, that's that's impressive. So how, how many years young are you? I'm 73. 73. Yeah. That, and, and you've been uh, bow hunting since you were, sounds like, uh, a teenager? Well, not really. You know, I was a small game hunter up until I was 24 years old. We just didn't have any deer locally where I lived. Back then, it just it was unheard of, and and uh, you had to go to North Louisiana along the Mississippi River to have any kind of uh, deer herd or deer population to hunt. And uh, so I actually killed my first deer at 24 years old. Wow! So you're you're coming on 50 years of bow hunting then? Right, I'm on my 49th bow season right right now. Wow, that's impressive. And I know there's something that's really interesting about you. Uh, I heard you on the Nine Fingers Chronicles. Uh, you keep stats on everything from how many times you've spent the night in your pickup truck to 
where you killed a deer and what the weather was like and how far he went and what kind of broadhead you used. And, um, it's like real, a lot of stats. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I've got volumes and volumes and volumes of stuff like that. Cross references. Uh, it, it, I amaze myself. I got so much stuff. You're only <laughs> limited by your imagination, what you can record. And, uh, I, I I had a I got an uncle, my my mother's baby brother. He's eleven years older than I am. Uh, he's my uncle Sonny, and uh, he he was a, a a big hunter and everything. And he encouraged me a lot. And he told me I was getting interested in it big time. And he could tell. And he told me he said once you start hunting, he said you need to take pictures and you need to write stuff down, and so you can remember it because it, you know he could tell I was really going to get serious about it. And then I had a. a, a a co-worker too that he would he there wasn't much deer around here then and he would go to texas and made hunts and he'd be on a, come out on a job you know and he'd bring pictures and tell stories and all that he had me fired up and he he also uh encouraged me to take a lot of pictures and stuff so you know i, I got a camera started taking pictures and then i i was interested in writing and stuff so i had a little old journal I, I, the information i started recording with the, the first few years was was real limited, you know, but I could start, I started seeing the value of it, and I, I enjoy writing, I, I like telling stories, so I went ahead and, and started getting more detail with my writing, first I just kept up with my kills, right, you know, how far the shot was, the date, and the time, and what I was hunting over, just a, a basic deal, and then, and then I would start talking about, now I started telling stories about my shots, and then, and, as well as the kills, and then that progressed on into once I got a computer, and I think it was 2001, by that time I was writing every hunt up. You know, even if I didn't see anything, I would, I would write a story just like you'd read in a magazine about the hunt. And I continue to do that to this day. So you go out on a hunt, even if you hunt uh, five days in a week, you write up a, a five stories? That's, that's right. I write for every day I hunt. And I got a format for it, especially since I got on the computer. I got a lot of handwritten stuff. In fact, it took me probably probably 12 years just to get my bow hunting stuff uh documented on computer you know transferred from the handwritten stuff over to computer files and stuff it was a labor of love i'm gonna tell you that but i finally got that all down and everything but i i I keep up with the the hours i've hunt i can tell you how many bow hunts i've made in my lifetime and I, i kept more records on my bow hunting than i did gun hunting in the last probably 20 years, I guess, I got more serious, or 25 years, I got more serious in keeping records on my gun hunts, too. But when I first off, started off, I was just strictly bow hunting. And, and you can't think of anything that, that you could write down that I don't have recorded. I mean, I just got stacks and stacks of it. And, and then pictures is a big deal for me, too. I first started taking slides. You could develop three slides for the price of one picture, buying a film and the development of things. So I, I got thousands of slides and then when the first digital camera come out i could see the value of that i mean it costs you the same take a thousand pictures take one you know it just you just download them and and uh so i I invested in a digital camera and uh and then went from there and i got all these pictures and i I got these stores and i started packing a video camera in 91 actually made five videos that i've I've had for sale actually six i guess uh, that i've sold and uh, the, the first one was called the Ultimate Challenge, and to my knowledge, it's the first video ever produced and and sold that the the uh, shooter was the cameraman and the shooter. I mean, it was a sell all self filmed. 
except for one hunt where my son videoed me shoot a deer. And, uh, I, and I sold a bunch of those things. And then I, I had a lot of traditional uh, footage. And then I, after that, I went back and got a lot of traditional footage, and I started making trad boat DVDs. And I've got five of those made, each of them about an hour long. So, it, you know, I got the pictures, I got the video, I got all the writings, and and uh, it it really it really maintains your memory. You know, after you, after so many years and so many kills and so many shots, it all gets confusing if you don't have it wrote down or have it recorded some kind of way. And it's been too much fun and enjoyment and and just a lifestyle to forget all that stuff. And somebody can ask me uh, for. What kill? I, mean, I number all my kills numbers. You know, it's, it's just a number, number one through uh, three hundred and seventy-eight. You know, and uh, it's it's just a number. So I number them so I can take that number and I can find it, or I can take a date and go to that date and find the kill, or, or it's all kind of cross references I have. So how how many days do you have in the tree stand? Oh, uh, bow hunts. Yeah. Uh, it's, 2071, I think. I made a hunt this morning. <laughs> I think it's 2000. I can check real quick. I got it on my computer while we're talking. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, 271. That's that's a uh, that's a big number. And and you've been. Oh, it's 2000. Been, 2071. So you've been you you start self hunt uh, self filming yourself. Uh, 25 years ago, like you said, you were definitely ahead of the curve on that. That's become real popular in the last, uh, you know, five, six, seven years. And you, you started doing that in 91. So that's definitely, you're definitely leading the, the crew on that one. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. I'm, the first, the first, the, uh, 91 was my first season. And the, the first hunt I made, I had it strap hanging from my, across my shoulder, you know, down by my right side. And uh, I, I would see. I suppose I was going to take and, and hold it up in video, and then and then put it. I don't know what I was going to do when it got time to shoot. hadn't I hadn't thought it that far. But the first morning, a, a velvet a Pope and Young eight point was actually three of them came in, and I and I saw them, and they, it was pretty thick, and there was a tight area, and I and they kind of hung up. And I said, Well, I, I can get my camera and start film. So I turned my video camera on, I got up, and I'm holding my bow in one hand, I got the video camera in the other, and these these bucks are just kind of paused inside 25 yards, and I filmed a little bit, and then they started getting nervous, and I said, man, are you crazy? I put this camera down, so I turned it off and hung it down, and I killed the biggest one of the three, and that was my first time in a tree videoing with a video camera, so I I did that that season. I got I got thinking about it. And I said, "There's got to be a way to mount this thing." And I, I hunt out of a little old bitty lock-on limit stand, just a real small stand, six and a half pounds. And I made me a monopod, this three-piece monopod with a with a uh, like a tripod head on it. And I mounted my camera on that, and I set it right between my legs on the front of the stand. I I, I bolted a, a nut on there, and I had a, a bolt inside that that uh, monopod and I screwed it in there and put the pieces together and, and then put my camera on that and I would film these things when they come in these deer coming in and I hunted mostly on, on feed like acorns and persimmons and stuff like that and the deer would come in and I would I would track them with that camera and then when they get in settle down and start feeding I'd have to lock that thing in and then stand up and, and shoot and uh, some of the film come out pretty good you can see the air it looks like the air just coming out of the camera going to the deer 
and uh, I, I started getting a little footage here and there and started collecting it and that was 91 by 94 I had a good bit of footage and I was putting it on on a, a VHS tape and sh- showing it to friends and everything and I probably showed three four hundred people and stuff and people started encouraging me to to make a video out of it so I contacted some people in Jackson Mississippi that did videos and and we got together and we made the ultimate challenge which is that video that's to my knowledge, it's the first one ever produced that the cameraman and the shooter was the same person. VHS tape. I forgot all about this. Yeah, it was, it was VHS, yeah. yeah. And then after, after years went by, you know, I got embarrassed selling this thing. I, I came out with it in 95, and, and by 2010, people still want it. And, of course, by then, I done transferred it over to DVD and everything. And, and finally, it, it got to me more trouble for me to... Uh, to make it available and it was worth it. I mean, I just, I just have to tell people, no, nah, I don't have any more, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, it, it, it was a, it was a fun ride. I got to meet a lot of people and, and good people and made some good friends just through that video. I imagine you did. Why don't you, um, kind of go back to the beginning and tell us kind of about, you know, how your scouting started and how it's evolved in your hunting. Um, you know, how things, you know, have, started in the beginning and how they are today as far as uh your scouting and the way you hunt well it it was a a a self-learning period i guess you know back then you talk about the late 60s and everything they didn't have any videos they they have any any bowhunt magazines or nothing at that time it was just maybe uh one issue a year in field and stream outdoor life a sports field might have a bowhunt article in it and of course, I I made sure I got to read it if it did, and so it was it was it was self-taught deal. It was like a apprenticeship program for me. You usually have a four-year apprenticeship program where you learn to trade and everything. Well, I think the first year I did I didn't kill a deer, and the second year I killed one. And uh, if I had my records out right now while we're talking, I could tell you exactly. But uh, by the by the end of the fourth year, you know, I, I think I killed. Uh, I hate to say this without looking at it, but uh, the, I think the fourth year I killed nine. I killed six bucks and three does. I know that for sure. And I said, well, you know, I think I'm a journeyman now at this stuff. And <laughs> it, was, it was like an apprenticeship program, learning by trial and error mostly. And did you know other bow hunters at the time? It was a, it was probably uh, maybe four different other guys beside me. I think probably half a dozen of us that started about the same time. And uh, it was just kind of a trial and error, and we, we, you know, it, it was fun. We did a lot of missing, a lot of shooting, and had had good many deer in the area when we first started. So it, it was a fun time, just cool. learning experience. And it, when I first started, I would kind of like one uh, of one of my scouting was was uh, kind of sneaking around, hoping to kill a deer while I was looking for something to hunt. And then that was such a low percentage deal that I finally realized that I need to be covering ground a lot faster. Because I had a lot better chance to find something that they were coming to and set up on it and wait for them. I would be sneaking around looking for something and trying to kill too. So I got in high gear and trying to cover as much ground as I could, trying to find a high percentage hunt where I, I thought I could really have deer under me for for a shot. And and then I and then things just escalated from there. And I learned how to hunt oak trees, learned what to look for, what to expect, and and just experience. You know, that's the best best the best teacher making mistakes and seeing where you made a mistake and trying to correct it and going like that. 
At, at what point did you start utilizing ambushing and tree stand hunting? Pretty much right away. I started off with a ladder stand. That left a lot desired. They had those baker stands come out, and uh, they left. They they were scary, man. That was a suicide stand, those baker stands. But uh, <laughs> they had a had a guy in our area. His name was Donnie Davis, and he was a pipe fitter welder. And he uh, he got the, he was a real good bow hunter. He was kind of a pioneer in bow hunting in Louisiana. He started bow hunting back in the '60s and everything, early '60s, late '50s, early '60s, and and he he was really good. He's he's still good. He's still kicking and everything. But he got to uh, realize the value of being up in a tree hunting a deer, and he he started to uh, experiment with some stuff and came up with a probably the first lock on stand ever made. And it was a little solid model, and it was probably weighed about 15 pounds, something like that. And uh, I, I, I saw it and everything, and we was using spurs to hang, hang them with, just get some tree spurs and strap them on our legs and start climbing and hang them up there. And I, I saw his stand, and, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm an electrician by trade, and I, I've been a lot of EMT and pipe bending and stuff like that. So on the job, I started making my design of it, trying to make it better, and I come up with a with a a stand that you could bend EMT for the framework, and and uh, I got another hunting partner that's a welder, and I would design it, and he would weld it, and we made a bunch like that. But they were solid and they were bulky to carry, and, but we made a bunch of them where we had like 15 stands and scattered them around. And then I started getting more mobile, and I wanted something better, so he come up with a way to make it fold, but it was still bulky and everything. I hunted with it for about a year, and then. I designed a way to make it fold. It was a pattern that we used until, until uh, well, we just couldn't improve on anything. But we never could get it down less than ten pounds. And when the lock-on limit and wind walker come out, the wind walker was five and three quarter pounds, and the lock-on limit was six and a half. Well, I could really see the value of that. And I got a, I got a wind walker, but I'm kind of tall and rangy, and it was just too small for my frame. And my, I had a hunting partner, my main hunting partner. He had a he had the limit, the lock-on limit was six and a half pounds, and it was a little little larger frame, so we traded. And I wound up with that limit, and I still use it to this day. But uh, the uh, climbing methods, you know, we always use hooks, and then I wind up going to the woodpecker drill. I don't know if you're familiar with the woodpecker drill or not. No. Uh, it's a little, Jerry Simmons from Simmons Broadhead, he invented this thing, and it's a little hand drill. It's a three-eighths, a little larger than a three-eighths bit, and uh, it, it's it's a the handles are like a piece of pipe with a with a spinner handle on the end of it, and this bit folds up in it like a knife blade and a knife. Okay. And you open it up to about 120 up to 120 degrees probably, and uh and then you start. It's got a sleeve on it. You can hold that sleeve, and you can drill a, a two inch hole in about 30 35 seconds, something like that. And you can insert a grade eight uh six inch hard a six inch grade eight hardened uh, bolt in there for a step. And uh, a grade eight is really strong. It's, it, it has a high breaking strength or bending strength, and other things very safe. And ten holes usually puts me about twenty foot high. And the beauty about this system, once you drill that tree, it's good to go for the whole rest of the season. In other words, I, I, I drill uh, several trees. Uh, I usually drill probably twenty five a, a season, and I, I carry my boats in my pouch. And when I go hunt that tree. I insert my boats as I climb, hang my stand, and uh, and get in it. And then uh, after the hunt's over, I get off my stand, take it, I put it on my back, climb down, and pull my boats out. And once you got a tree drilled, it's good for the season. You don't have to re-drill it. And it's 
pretty quick when you get that tree, and it's, it's probably the safest climbing method I've found yet. So you, you're essentially you're you've been mobile hunting for quite some time then. Oh yes, sir. That's 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 the thing for me. You know, you you uh, I, I do a lot of scouting. And, you know, I'm like I said, I'm 73 years old now. And I don't have the wheels that I once had, but in my prime, you know, I like to talk about when when I was at my very best and what I did then to help people. You know, I don't tell them what I'm doing now, <laughs> which it's along the same line, but it's not to the extreme that, that you, it can be done and be done right. But I would walk at least two to four hours every day looking for the very best sign I could find. And, and, uh, and I'm talking about walking fast, trying to cover as much ground as I could. And during the right acorn season, I'm looking for prime oak trees. And uh, cover a lot of ground real, real fast. And I might find four different places uh, that I want to hunt, and then I choose which one I want to hunt according to the morning hunt, evening hunt, uh, the wind direction. Is it's a lot of factors that play into that. And then I, I, I usually make four day hunts. I go for four days at a time, and I, I hunt one hunt that morning. The next that evening, after doing all that looking that evening, I'd make one hunt. And then hunt one of the other places the next morning, and after that morning hunt, I'd get down and be looking for some more places. So after a four-day period, I might know 15 different places I think I can kill a deer. And I hadn't hunted none of them twice. Each time I hunted, I hunted a different place. And these deer, they they got a, they done select this tree as a primary feed tree for the whole area. And uh, they, they come in there. They've been coming in there for, say, four or five days and eating, picking up acorns, and nothing's happened. And I find it in one trip go back to the next trip and, and uh, climb, and they come in like they've been doing, and, you know, you pass air through one of them. Wow. So, and you started this mobile-type hunting in the 90s or 80s or? No, the 70s. <laughs> oh. Wow. Yeah. Once I got the hands on that stand, uh, it was it was just wide open after that. It seems that mobile hunting's the 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 latest and greatest uh, that's being talked uh, in the whitetail community right now, and you, you uh, seem to be ahead of that bell curve once again. Well, I started doing it in uh, like '72, something like that. Yeah, '72. I, I was I was on with my tree spurs and a and a and a lock on stand, you know, homemade lock on stand, but it was as good as any any that you can buy nowadays, maybe better than some. And better than a lot of them, but uh, yeah, I, I, that's been a lifestyle for me. You're doing most of this hunting around home. Are you hunting multiple states? Are you camping? Can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah, you know, I've hunted in twelve different states, and the, the majority of my hunting's in the deep south. And and uh, I've I, I started off in a tent, which left a lot to be desired. I hunted one place for six years. That I had a, I built actually built a camp. The only time I ever had a camp. And when I left that place, uh, you know, I tried to tend a little bit. It didn't work. So I, I had a, I had a, a Bronco, a '74 Bronco, and I, I rigged it up where I could sleep in it. So I was, I was going off on three and four day hunts, sleeping in my Bronco. And then the next year, I, I, I sold my Bronco, and I got a. a I got a, a Ford truck with a four-wheel drive Ford truck, put a camper hull on it, put plywood on the floor, put carpet on the plywood, had a bed frame built, put a real good mattress in it, had curtains on the windows, had a reading light at one end, uh, the, the cab end of the, the uh, back, and then uh, had a, a tailgate light at the other end. 
and it, it was home away from home. I'd, I'd go off for four days and hunt and come back home and then stay uh, two or three days and then go back for another four days. So, you know, and uh, I was hunting different places all over the place. Uh, I hunted, I, I, would, I, I hunted a few clubs, but you, you got so much competition in those clubs and so much jealousy and everything, and they steady making rules and everything. I just found a lot better to hunt big, huge, vast areas of, of public land, like national forests and stuff like that, and some big WMAs. So, uh, yeah, I would go off sleeping in my truck and hunting during the day. And I hunted a lot of solo. had some real good hunting buddies. And uh, and one of them still hunting with him today. In fact, made a hunt with him this past Monday. I'm sorry, Tuesday. And uh, but uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I do. I, I come kind of get sidetracked as I start talking. It seems like I'm Are... going from one thing to another. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're doing great. We're we love this. I'm appreciated. Uh, so let me ask you a, a personal question. Uh, are you married? Yes, I am. I've been married for 55 years. Well, maybe, maybe some sound mar- uh, uh, marital <laughs> advice for uh, all of us, because uh, it sounds like you do a lot of hunting, and you've been married for 55 years, so maybe uh, give us a little bit of marital advice. That'd be great. Well, I don't know. First guy, you got to have a, a real good understanding wife that wants to support you. <laughs> yeah. That's the main thing. Treat her good. <laughs> That's about the best I say. I got I got a real good wife. That's I, I, I'd imagine. So it sounds like you're hunting quite a few days. I mean, how many days a, a year are you hunting? Well, uh, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pull it up on the uh, the stats here. <laughs> yeah, I got my I got my Bible out right now. Let me see. Uh, all right. I'm almost there. Bear with me. I'm flipping oh, hey, pages. No, no worries, man. Where do you want to start at? Uh, <laughs> I got all these years, man. <laughs> I can put it anywhere. Yeah, what's your average year? I mean, like you said, we're just, you know, how many days a year are you usually spending hunting? Are you doing four-day weekends? Not in, not anymore. I don't, I, well, you don't have to do I, that anymore. You're probably retired, huh? Well, yeah, I'm retired now. But I used to take a lay. I work in construction. I, I get yeah. laid off. And I'd take the whole deer season off. Yeah. Uh, I worked from uh, 77 to 85. I worked on a job. It, you work four days and you have four days off. And, and I, I'd work four days and hunt four days. So, and then when I didn't have a job like that, I would just take off the whole hunting season. Yeah. And, uh, and then get me another job in hunting season over yeah. it. But look, I, <laughs> I got some days right here. You want the total? And for, if, uh, like say, this is my, my 49th season right here. But, uh, I've hunted uh, in 49, 48 years. I've hunted two thousand two hundred three days. Okay, uh, I've made one thousand three hundred thirty three morning hunts and one thousand eight hundred five <laughs> evening hunts for a total of three thousand three hundred seventy two hunts. I've seen wow. six thousand and three hundred deer off stand. <laughs> I've I've, uh, I've had one thousand seven hundred twenty eight hunts. I didn't see a deer. That's no, a, that's God. that's a good stat right there for the guys that that uh, get frustrated. Almost uh, yeah. two thousand sits where you didn't see a deer. Oh, one thousand seven hundred twenty-eight. Yeah, yeah, that's almost two thousand this year. I got three yeah. this year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, I, also, uh, I got eight thousand four hundred and forty-seven hours on the tree stand. 
<laughs> and I've killed 378 deer. Wow. How, how, how many deer with, uh, with the stick and string? Uh, 278. I got 175 with a compound and 103 with a recurve. Wow. wow. Dang. Um, I seen a picture hey, of you on ride now. Oh, you, you've lived a good life my friend that's for sure <laughs> yeah now, this, uh, all these records that's minus eight years that i didn't have the details for, yeah. from my 68 season through my my uh 76 season i did the 75th season i'm sorry i didn't i didn't keep up with the days hunted or the morning hunts or the p.m hunts and uh so or, or, so, so you know you can add eight more years to that whatever uh, that was I, I just didn't keep the details on that you 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 killed more deer in the evening than the mornings yeah i, I think so I, I could figure it up real quick i probably have figured it up before but i don't have it wrote down but my best season was uh was uh 26 yeah yeah 26 on my i killed 26 on my Jeez. best season Dang. And so how long is, was there archery seasons all the way back in the sixties in the South or were you hunting gun seasons and using your, 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 your bow or how does that work? I don't, I don't remember that, but the, I, the, I got my bow license right now. The first time Louisiana ever required you to buy a bow license was in 78, 79 season. And okay. it was, uh, it was $5. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That was the first I, time they were required. Of, uh, I, I I pulled it off of the, the shelf right there. Just now. I I was born in 1978. Was you really? Yeah. I, I, let me see how many deer I killed in '78. Since you, with you, you was born. '78, <laughs> '79 season. I killed nine. Nine. Awesome. I made, I, and, made, I hunted 62 days, 42 morning hunts, 49 evening hunts, uh, 91 total hunts, and. Saw 195 deer. I had 43 hunts. I didn't see a deer. 229 hours on stand and killed nine. That's <laughs> and, and, awesome. And I I think you had a stat that you've spent like 2,200 days in, in your pickup truck camping. Oh no, you exaggerate now. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I had that old red truck with that camp hull on it, and every time, and I all my trucks I do that. I got a marks lot. And every morning I wake up from a night's sleep, I take and, and put a tally on there, you know, in groups of five. And uh, on that old 85 tour, I spent over 1,100 nights in it. I don't remember the exact, but it was, I know it was over 1,100 nights in that truck. Boy, my wife hates to hear me tell that story. But it just That's three years I was gone, you know, she just cranked. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. That I, is I, awesome. There was a picture, I found you on Instagram, and there was a picture of you that I think you put up this week and you're in the stand with a recurve in your hand and there's tally marks all over your top limb, all the way down. <laughs> yeah, that's my Caden Woods. I've killed uh, 75 with it and 11 hogs, I think. Wow. Well, uh, wow. <laughs> I had I had one compound bow I killed 80 with it. Wow. I had another one I killed. I, I mark, that's a good scoreboard. You know, you... <laughs> I'm not trying to show off with that. It's just a, it's another way of keeping a record, you know. And when I see a deer coming, I get a little nervous. I've missed a lot of deer. I have trouble shooting deer sometimes. I just want it so bad, I guess. <laughs> but uh, it, it's nice to look at that scoreboard and say, hey, I've done, done this before. You know, I can do it again. Just settle down, you know. And it's kind of yeah. kind of helps me do that. But, yeah, that, that I had a one bow. The first combine, I think I killed 36 with it, and then my next one, 
I, I, I killed nine with it. I only hunted one season with it, and I, I didn't like it. And then I got a Jennings Airstar, and I killed, I think, 68 with it. And then that last compound I had, I killed 80 with it. And then I, I went back to the recurve. So I got a question. Uh, I got a question for you, Warren. I know just being, you know, having spent so many days afield. I know when I was, you have to be twelve here in Oregon to be able to bow hunt, and I, you know, I've been since I was a little kid. You know, read every magazine. You know, same thing. Always had a bow or a gun in my hand, and my dad, and my uncles, and and man, by the time I was old enough to hunt, I was so excited. I mean, I couldn't sleep for weeks before, and, and it was the same way, you know, 12, 13, 14, I, you know, it's, and my dad, I remember my dad, I'm like, dad, how can you even sleep? Like, how, you know, like the night before opening morning, and, and he'd be like, oh, you know, someday, you know, it, it'll, it'll slow down someday, and for me, it still hasn't, you know, it's, it almost gets worse every year, and you're 73, you said? That's that's right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, have you like how's that experience been for you? You know, same thing. Yeah, it just keeps getting worse. Well, good. I'm glad. It I don't, it I don't want it to easy. slow down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I try to stay in shape, though. You know, I, this is something that's been important for me. You know, I schedule my whole life around hunting seasons and stuff, and and uh, nothing will send you to the house quicker than fatigue. Mm-hmm. When you get tired, all you want to do is go home. You know, not that I don't get tired. I get tired plenty of times. I've been exhausted before. But the better shape you are, the longer you're going to hang in there and do what it takes. And, and uh, so all during the summer, I got a I got a off-season rut or routine I get in. I work out with weights. You know, 78 years, I'll still do all my bench press and do all that stuff. I got weight routine. I walk two and a half miles just about every day and uh, at a fast pace. I call it power walking. Mm-hmm. And I, I get an elliptical machine I get on, I, I, I ride a motorcycle, you know, that's not much exercise, but it, it wears on you. I just, I like to stay fit. I still climb trees with hooks or woodpecker drills or whatever, anything but a climbing stand. I'm scared to death of a climbing stand. I don't use them. And, uh, but you got to stay, if you find something you really like to do and it requires physical ability, you better better work at it where you can keep doing it, you know. Yeah, I, I, so, want, I want to kill it there when I'm 85. You know, yeah, heck yeah. Uh, I ain't, so, I ain't killed enough of them. You know, I still enjoy it. So we, so, I, I know we have a lot of older guys that listen to this too. Um, and I'm, you know, I consider myself a younger guy, and I also work construction a long time, and and now I have a job. I'm a firefighter, so I'm able to work out a lot, and and I'm kind of an overdoer, you know, and I've had some injuries, some sports in the past, and. I've done the CrossFit and I've done all the different, you know, exercise stuff and we do it all at work. And, and I always wonder what, cause I'm the same way, you know, I'm scheduling my life around hunting and, and I want to be your age and doing what you're doing. And absolutely. I mean, do you think that there's guys out there that are overdoing it at a younger age? And I mean, did you have any experience with that? And, you know, cause I always wonder, should I just be walking or is, you know, doing this CrossFit stuff going to cripple me later. You know what I mean? What do you, what do you think? I mean, you've been there and done that. You've, you've stayed healthy for those 75 years. You stayed in good shape. You, you're where I want to be. And you know, what's your advice for me to get there? Just keep, I'm telling you, like my heart doctor told me last, last month, I had a visit with my heart doctor and he says, he said, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. (laughs) 
He said, you're, you're ahead of the curve of the bell, so you just keep on doing it. I told him I was getting a little tired now. I didn't thought I might be getting old to do all this stuff. He said, no. He said, you're way ahead of the curve. He said, just keep doing what you're doing. How, so how, if, how about nutrition? Uh, does that play a role in, in your lifestyle? I don't know. I like <laughs> I like all that good food. I keep my weight down. I, I got a limit on my weight. I won't let it get past it. But uh, I, I like to eat all that good food, you know. I, so I'm not a real health nut for food eating. But uh, you just uh, stay I, I busy. You drink sweet tea every night? No, I, I don't like tea. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I drink mostly water, and uh, I like I like vegetables. I, I I like meat too, but I'm more of a vegetable eater than I am meat. Really like my vegetables a lot. Well, and, uh, well, it sounds like you're uh, pretty pretty conscientious. Then, if you're eating vegetables and uh, meat and drinking water, you sound like you're on the right track. Well, yeah, you know, it's part of, like just working out. You're gonna try to do what you can to just be able to keep doing what you like to do. Yeah, I I uh, let myself get uh, let myself go there. Um, I'm I'm gonna be 39 years old this this month. And I, I always stayed at a decent weight, and then I just kind of let myself go, and I, I got a, a a good seventy pounds overweight, and I I was able to uh, through diet and exercise, I trimmed that off of me a, about two years ago, and I mean I did it for myself and my family, but I did it because I want to hunt when I'm seventy five years old. Period. The end. Like that was like every day that I just gave up beer and I gave up all like all these, these different things. And I started working out real hard. And my inspiration was I want to hunt when I'm 75 years old. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to hunt when I'm 85 and then yeah. when I get 85, if I make 85, I'm going to hunt till I'm 95. Yeah, I just, that, it's, it's in my blood. I just can't help it. You know, that's super inspiring. Um, because I, I know guys right now that are in their thirties that, uh, have let themselves go and they're like they realize that eh, i might have to get into fishing soon because i don't think i got much more left in me and i'm thinking you're 32 years old what are you doing <laughs> yeah it's never too late you can always do make changes and you know you start off little and you just every little thing counts and then you dedicate yourself to it and, and make a commitment and you just keep doing it and it gets better and better you can always improve i think yeah, uh, I heard rumor that you like to listen to podcasts when you're working out. So yeah, that's true. You know, I'm, I'm new to this iPhone. This I, I have one almost a year. I guess a little over a year now. And I'm every once in a while I'll discover something pretty nice on it. And podcast is one of those things. So I, I got my little ear things when I go walking. It takes me about an hour to make my walk, and then that's a podcast right there. You know, I listen to it, and then when I'm working out, I got one of those little bluetooth speaker things and I, I set it up in my shop out there while i'm working out and listen to them i've been enjoying them what uh what podcast are you listening to i listen to to this one the trad uh trad quest and uh, I, I don't know i got a list of them i, I don't know what they all are uh <laughs> yeah i could read them off here but i'd have to turn this thing on and try to find it but wow. it's it's several of them nine fingers and they got some guys down in florida i forget uh, what they call? I, I got them listed on my phone, but I, yeah, I don't. I, I was I was pretty impressed when I called you because a lot of times when I talk to uh, guys your age, they're like they they don't know what a podcast is, and you were like, oh yeah, I, I listened to I listened to your podcast, and I was like, wow. Uh, the first one I ever listened to was uh, the one with uh, Larry Larry D Jones. Yeah, 
That was your first one, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. yeah. I, I took my wife to the store and I sat out in the parking lot while she was in the <laughs> store and I was listening to it. Yeah. Uh, we we I'm appreciate it. I got I got a uh, my first cousin's son. He's about thirty eight years old, boy, and we become real good friends in the last three years, I guess. And and he's he's into all this stuff, and he's kind of my mentor on all, <laughs> all this stuff. <laughs> okay, all right. So yeah, he's my age then. So that's neat. Yeah. Cool. Um, so getting back into the whitetails, how how long is your season? How many uh, tags do you get in Louisiana? And you know what other? It sounds like you're hunting Mississippi and uh, Alabama also. Right. Uh, tell tell us a, a little bit about that. Uh, you know, as far as you know, current and like like you said when you were in your prime and really uh, hitting it up everywhere. Um, well, it was different in my prime because back then it was real real liberal, and uh, in Louisiana for years and years, in Mississippi and Alabama too, it was one a day with no season limit. And uh, the month, the season was like four months long, so it was actually legal to kill kill a deer every day for four months, you know, in, in all three of those states. And 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 it was it was wide open. And I hunted one place. It was it was uh, forty two thousand acres. It was a private club, and it was half it was half Louisiana and half Mississippi. It was all on the Louisiana side of the river, but it had an indefinite boundary line the way that river crooks and turns and curves down through there. And uh, it had a lot of deer there, man. I had a great time at that place. And uh, you could kill. In fact, I hunted on the boundary line one time, and I killed one on the Louisiana side and one on the Mississippi side. I had the same trees, you know, about a half hour apart. And uh, so that was real liberal limits back then. And then they they never had no tags. And then all of a sudden, Louisiana decided they're going to try to have some tags. And they had them for one year or two years. And they realized that the small, small percentage of the hunting population actually killed their limit. And they was making all these tags and the expense of them wasn't worth it because the guys that was going to kill over the limit were going to do it anyway. They had a way to do it, and the rest of them wasn't even doing it, so it didn't matter. And then some years later, I forget just when it was, they, they went back to the tagging system. And right now they have, it's, you get six tags, and it's, uh, you kill six deer, a year not to exceed three antlered or four antlerless per season, except for the area that I live in. <laughs> and they changed that this year. Now they, they, they limit to us because we've ha- our herd has declined in this area where I live, and they, they put it down to uh, a limit of three a season. So you, you can't kill but, uh, but three. And, and do you have hogs where you're at? Uh, one of the places I've been hunting for the last six or seven years is just now starting to get some hogs. I killed one with my bow last year. I was on deer stand. I had some come in. And I killed one of them, and uh, but and I saw them a couple of other hunts I made in there. But hogs had never been a problem to me. Now I, I got to do some spot and stalk hunting with traditional gear with a friend of mine down in South Louisiana in the marsh. He had a permit to go on his duck lease, and uh, we we hunted. Boy, we had fun. It was all spot and stalk. I got a video on that too. That, that uh, I made it shows a lot of the action. In fact, on my YouTube channel, it's, it's got a lot of those uh, hunts on there too, or parts of a lot of the hunts on there. And uh, so that's only my experience I've had with hogs. I, like I say, I've killed, I've killed uh, eleven with a bow, you know, one with a gun. So I, I hadn't been exposed to hogs that much. But I'm, I'm a minority. A lot of places in Louisiana is overrun with them. Are Are you still hunting Mississippi? Yes, I am. Yeah, I hunted there this past uh, Tuesday. 
And yeah. what's the what's the bag limit in in Mississippi? Three bucks and three does. Used to be five uh, five does. At one time it was eight does and three bucks, and now it's uh it's three bucks and three does and and you can uh you can kill all your does in in one sitting if you want to. And there's no tags at all. Mississippi doesn't do tags. You have you ever hunted up in uh, the uh, Greenwood, Mississippi area? Uh, I have. I hunted on on a, a, a WMA up there. Uh, I'm Mississippi. No, it's a National Wildlife Refuge. I think I I can't remember the name of it right now. I killed a, ni- a nice. I say nice buck. Nice for me. You know they all nice for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I killed a buck up on that hunt in that in that area up there. Uh, is uh pretty good hunting in that area. Yes, it is. Yeah, any the closer you get to that Mississippi River, the higher the deer density becomes. It's just I've got, I've got a friend with a thousand acres up there that keeps wanting me to come down and hunt. Uh, oh yeah, at, you need to need to go do it. Yes, sir. Sounds do like they that. rut? And they rut in like January, right? Yeah, starting about Christmas time, around Christmas time. Yeah. Perfect. And, Sounds like we found something to do in January. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, what, and what? Up there too. I mean, some really nice bucks up in that area. He's been, they call it the Delta Country up there. Delta Country. He sent me some pictures. They got some non-typical genetics in there. All kinds of like multiple like, uh, in and I guess in the whitetail standards like twelve point on one mm-hmm. or I guess twenty four points, twelve on each side with all kinds of little kickers and drop tines. And uh, he sent me some pictures of some real bruisers from that country. Where are we going? <laughs> I already got my license. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm getting fired uh, up. Oh man! All right, yeah. I got I got some I got some questions. Just I know we're trying to get all this whitetail knowledge out of you, but but I just got some just standard questions for somebody who spent so much time hunting. And uh, if it maybe you have to pull up some stats on these, but but here we go. So. Uh, do you have any regrets? You know, like hunting too much over no. the years? No. <laughs> no my wife all. my wife always asks me that. So now I can tell her that I talked to kids. a guy that hunted 2000 days and he's he's 75 and he has no regrets. You have kids? I've got 3. Wow. I got 3 okay. kids. I got uh, 7 grandkids and 3 great grandkids. Wow. Okay. And, and do they hunt? Uh one of them does. Well, actually Two of them. One of them's kind of getting started now. He plays so much ball and everything. Now he's done with his ball. He's kind of getting interested in it. But uh, my oldest grandson, he, he's a he's quite a hunter. He's, he's he's been a good shooter all his life, and he, he loves it. Uh, he just got back from a trip to Kentucky, made a make run to Kentucky, and made a, a a long weekend hunt up there. And he's but, hunting. Uh, with, he's hunting with trad gear. No, no, he's not hunting with trad gear. Okay. When he was when he was a kid, this little funny story and everything. Uh, he was shooting his compound bow. He's fourteen, fifteen years old, something. Like that, and he come shoot with me, and I, I'd spot him ten yards. I said, "Shoot anywhere you want, and I'm gonna shoot ten yards closer, and I'm gonna beat you." And he said, "No way." <laughs> I beat him all the time. Boy, <laughs> just get off with him. I just he shoot he shoot thirty yards. I shoot twenty yards. He shoot thirty five. I shoot twenty five. And I was I was beating him with his compound and my recurve, but I can't do that now. I can't see? tell you that. I seen him. I seen him shoot a, uh, a group 
a group of three arrows, you can put your thumb and forefinger around at 90 yards before in, in the target. So that's, those days are over with now. <laughs> yeah. did, did you say it was a grandson or a nephew, the, the 38-year-old? Yeah, I'm old. No, that's 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 a different one. This I'm talking about my grandson now. The guy okay. you're talking about is is my first cousin's son and my second okay. cousin. And he hunts. Oh. And, and he's hunting with trad gear. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Blake okay. LeBlanc. All right, and then um, what's your bow setup? Bow and arrow setup. Man, I you're talking to the least technical person on this <laughs> bow like and arrow you'll I ever like talk it. to. I got it. I got a Cadian Woods. It's fifty-eight pounds at twenty-eight inch draw, and I probably draw about twenty-seven, probably, if I make it back that far. <laughs> and I, I got airs. I probably got three different airs in my quiver all the time. I, I got some, uh, some carbon, and I got some aluminum. Probably got two different sizes aluminum. I got twenty-two fifteens and twenty-one seventeens, which are about the same. And I got the thirty-five fifty-five uh, or carbon airs I shoot and. Uh, Three fletch. The only thing I do is put the fletching on them. I don't do anything else. And and uh, I, I I take and I, I shoot it. And if it shoots good, that's good enough for me. I, I tell everybody they they overthink this tuning and stuff. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, I, I can't shoot good enough. I can't shoot good enough to tell the difference. Yeah. You know. And and, uh, and all my shootings, I've killed all those deer. I've killed a bow. The average shot has been 15 yards. So you know, you're not talking about shooting 30-yard shots all the time or something like that. 15 yards, it don't have to be perfect, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Have you tried wood arrows? No, I never have. I never have had a bit of interest. I shot those fiberglass a long time ago when they first okay. come out. Well, I'll tell you, they're a lot of fun. Me and Robert both shoot Doug fur arrows, and, and uh, they they fly pretty good. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know, it's just something about wood I, I didn't. I just never did take a liking to it. Yeah, you, know? you got to find some good good shafts. Um, what what broadheads are you a two blade guy or three blade guy or? I'm a, I'm a, when I shot a compound, I shot three blades, but I shoot uh, Zwickies and and uh, Magnus Magnums Magnus or whatever you call yep, them, and, yep. and, uh, and some sim. I got a few semen heads too. So, but you know, I might have two or two or three different kind of heads in my quiver at the same time. I got a. Six hour quiver I use a quickie quiver and a three hour quickie quiver and and I'll grab one for depending on where I'm going if it's a morning hunt or evening hunt or what I'm expecting just depends on which one I, I stick on there. Awesome. Very. Do you shoot a split finger or three under or a tab or a glove? I started off with a with a split finger with a glove. And I, I don't. I must have shot that glove for too many years or something. Other, it got where I was getting erratic air flight with it. it was it was fishtailing and everything. And I think the grooves had got so deep in the glove. And I and plus I was running a video camera while I was hunting too. And so I tried a tab and, and it shot so much better air and it's smoother and I could I could work the camera a lot better with that tab too. So I just wound up you know using tab all the time since then. I made that switch. I think you know must have been. 98 or something like that i switched over to a tab i was okay. working in st louis missouri i think it was when i did that okay and you're shooting split fingers still yeah i shoot split fingers yeah mm-hmm. copy and what poundage are you shooting 58 pounds awesome okay now um what's your your best day on stand <laughs> oh man <laughs> every, every day's best day when i make a kill and everything. Uh, 
Uh, maybe we'll go like the mo- maybe most buck seen or something. You know, best. I can tell you a, a, a hair raising story if you got time yeah, to listen to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. We we like that a lot. That was next to my questions. Weirdest thing. Yeah, I, I was I was hunting in a select cutover one evening. I was by myself. I was probably a mile and a half from my vehicle, and uh, only one person in the world could have found me, and he, and he wasn't nowhere around at the time. And I went back in there, and I, I killed a pretty nice eight point. And it, the cutover. When I went into it, it was slick cut over, and it growed up pretty thick, and they had not all oak trees all out in there in that cut over. And and uh, when I went in, I could kind of in the daylight, I could pick my way through that cut over, going from nut all to nut all to nut all, checking them. And I found one in there that was really hot. It was raining acres, had birds in there knocking out sign. The ground was all tore up around it. And, you know, it was a it was a red hot hunting in our tree. And I climbed on. I saw twenty six deer that evening come through, and this eight point come cruising through he was he was he was chasing wasn't chasing a doe he was he was running looking for a doe it was in december december hunt and late december and and he he paused out there and he was i think it was 35 yards which is a long shot for me and i I shot it and then just as my arrow was just fixing to hit him it looked like it just run out of gas and dropped out and i thought i shot under him and he he scooted up and he stopped and he got where i could just barely see him and all of a sudden, he just went down. And, uh, of course, I wound up killing him. And I, I always keep a camera with me. I take sometimes I spend 30 minutes taking pictures and video and everything. And I set up real quick and took some pictures and did a video show and tell with him. And I field quartered and put him in my bag. And I had, I had him on my back. I had the Alice pack, put him in the Alice pack inside of a garbage bag so it wouldn't get bloody. And I... Had it on my back, and I had my stand over the top of it. Now this was that homemade stand. It's before I went to the limit. It weighed ten pounds, and it was, it folded, but it was kind of bulky. And I, I had that on my back, and 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 that coming out in that cutover with a with a headlight. I always use a headlight so I keep my hands free. And it was like taking two steps forward and one step backwards. I just I couldn't see that headlight was blinding me with all that thick stuff. And I like never got out of that stuff. And finally, I broke out of it. And I was exhausted, and uh, they had a, a they'd logged in there, and they had a big white oak tree they'd cut down, and they had the top of it, and and uh, it was up off the ground a little bit. And I said, I'm gonna, I didn't want to take the pack and the stand off; it's too hard to put it back on, and I, I just wanted to take the weight off my shoulders and catch my breath a little bit. So I, I had to kind of stand on my tiptoes and get up and sit on that on that butt of that that top. And uh, I, my feet were off the ground. If I got up there, and, and I didn't realize it, but it had a fork in it. They cut the fork out of it, and, and I was sitting right by the fork. And I, I got up there, and I leaned back, and I had my stand in that bag on that one side of that fork. And, uh, boy, it felt good. It took all that weight off my shoulder, and, and like I say, I was pretty tired. And uh, I kind of shifted my weight a little bit, and that, that bag, that buck, it probably, the buck probably had 60 pounds plus my staff. probably had 70 pounds on my back. And it fell down in that fork, and it jammed me down in that fork and tinned my shoulders to each side of the fork. And I, I was so tired at the moment, I, di- I didn't really pay attention to it. And I, after about a minute or two, I said, well, I'm ready to go. And I started getting up, and I couldn't get up. All that weight, that 75 pounds, had me pulled down on there. My feet wasn't on the ground. My feet was hanging off the ground. And uh, I started struggling a little bit. And I said, hey, man, I'm trapped, you know. And the more I struggled, the further that packing that stand jammed down in that fork of the tree and i said i'm in a bind here so i said well it got so bad i said i'm gonna have to cut straps with my knife well my knife was on my belt and it had got down behind underneath those forks and i couldn't reach it with my hand 
I was trying, I was wiggling and squirming, trying to get away in the world and pulling on them straps. And I said, I said, man, I'm going a, I'm to a be here when daylight gets here. I can't get out of this thing. And it got got pretty bad. And finally, I said, well, you know, i got to get out of here. Ain't nobody helping me. i got to help myself. So I, I grabbed that right, the left strap with my right hand, and I started pulling and just pulling and pulling both of those straps. And I was gaining a little little slack. And it probably took me 10 or 15 minutes. I finally got enough slack where I managed to get my arm out of there. Boy, and I jumped up. <laughs> I said, man, I ain't doing that again. <laughs> and then I loaded back up and took a compass bearing, and I walked on out of there to my truck and everything. But that's just one little old story. I've been in so many, got so many stories, I could tell them to you all night long. Was was the uh, buck boned out, or? Well, he was quartered up. I had both hind quarters and both shoulders. I cut the legs off, of course, and I had the two back straps. And, uh, and I had his head. I cut his head off. I packed the head out. Too, yeah. So. And it, isn't it more common in your area? Most guys drag their deer out, or have you always quartered your bucks out? I, I've been doing this. I, I've probably quartered, uh, I don't know, 350 deer or so. Uh, wow. I, I, I've been, I started quartering deer and packing them out in 1982. Wow. So every deer I've killed since 82, I've quartered plus. I've done dozens showing people how to do it and uh and done some from some other people too so i ain't gonna tell how many i've done wow okay so all the tree stand that, you've it, done I, I, let me interrupt you one second oh, yeah, please. You that video the ultimate challenge i do a, a, a field quartering deal on that thing to demonstrate people show how they can they can hunt long distance vehicle and be independent from others others for help to to get a deer out by doing that and everything so it's on that video in fact it's on my youtube channel youtube channel too i got it on there too yeah um out here west everybody quarters their animals but it seems like the amongst the the whitetail community everybody drags their deer Uh, i could be wrong but that's my observation i agree with you yeah but not me man i hunt some places i'd have to eat that song and get him out ain't no way i could drag a deer out (laughs) your deer yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Hey. Have you ever fallen from a tree stand? I did one time. I didn't fall. I fall climbing. I, yeah. I never fell out of a tree stand. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I was climbing a tree one, one morning. It was freezing. It was like 28 degrees or something. I don't know if I had anything to do or not, but my feet wasn't but about six foot off the ground. And I was using those spurs. I had my stand on my back. I had my stand slung on my side, and I had my rifle. Uh, strapped across my back, and I was my feet was about six foot. And next thing I knew, I was laying flat on my back. I don't know what happened. And I, I said, "Wow!" It just kind of stunned me, knocked the breath out of me. And I laid there a little while, and I started moving that thing. I said, "Well, you know, I think you're all right." Got up and checked my rifle. It looked like it was all right. So I said, hmm, "I'm gonna have to be more careful this time." So I got back, climbed back up there, and put the stand up and got in it, and made the hunt. I, I imagine you wear a safety harness nowadays. I wear a rock climbing harness. I had a, a friend of mine introduce me to a rock climbing harness about four years ago, and I fell in love with that thing. I hated the uh, the full body harness uh, that that tether that seemed like it always got in the way. It kept me from t- making shots off to my right side, and uh, I, when I get in the tree, I I didn't have room to bend over to take my hooks off, and it just I hated that thing. And uh, when he introduced me to that rock climbing harness and gave me a little demonstration of the thing, I knew that was for me, and. Uh, uh, I did that, and I've got a, a saddle uh, stand I've got ordered right now. I'm, I'm going to try it out and see how it works. Oh, uh, that... Getting it in. Kestrel, new, new saddle coming out, Aereo's coming out with. Hmm. 
Oh, it's like a tree saddle type thing? Yes, tree saddle, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to try that. That's a new one. They just they just come out with I, I ordered it on a pre-order before they actually started selling them. Are you using climbing sticks now? or? I, I, I don't use climbing sticks. I got some, but the ones I got are real heavy and awkward, and, and it's, it's too bulky for me on my style of hunting. I'm too old to be carrying all that stuff around. And uh, I just like those woodpeckers. I can take my climbing system with that little drill I was telling you about and those boats, and I can take them and put them in one hand and, and touch my, my thumb to my fingers, and it sits inside like that. And wow. it's just real compact. It's, it's light. I can drill a tree, and then, and then I can take a bit and, and put it in a, a cordless drill motor. Uh, like I'm going to prep a site that I want to hunt later on, or, or September I start drilling trees I think I'm going to hunt anyway. I go in there and drill these trees out with a cordless drill motor. And then when I go back to hunt them, I don't have to do any drilling, just insert my boats and climb. And it's real light, mobile, portable. And, and like I said before, it's probably the safest way you can climb a tree. Do you do you always move morning hunt, the evening hunt, or do you do all-day sits uh, sometimes? Or, or even like back in your prime, would you do all-day sits, or, you're, or were you always moving from morning to evening hunts? I've done some all-day sits and they and those little bitty stands. You, you try sitting on a stand that weighs six and a half pounds you know, all day. I mean, it, it yeah. gets old. But I would make all-day hunts. But what I would do, I'd make maybe three to five climbs during that day. I'd hunt maybe the first two and a half hours of daylight. I'd get down and walk a couple hours with my equipment and find something look good. I'd climb on it, stay up there a couple of hours and get down and do that, and maybe climb four or five times during that one day and be in the woods all day. And uh, instead of just sitting at one place, and then I've hunted one place in the morning, and that afternoon I might be ten miles from there, get my vehicle and relocate to a different area. I killed a nice buck one night like that. I'd I'd hunted all that morning in one area, and just couldn't find what I wanted. I'd made a couple of climbs and it wasn't right, and I said I'm out of here. And I knew another spot, and I drove about ten, twelve miles, and went in that evening and killed a nice eight point. So. Has your mobile tree stand hunting tactics always been because uh, you realize the value of your first time sit is is, is your best sit, or uh, you know explain that to me? Yeah, I, I figured that out a long time ago. You know, those deer people don't give them enough credit for how smart they are, how sensitive they are to intrusion, and uh, they figure you out a lot quicker than you can figure them out. And I firmly believe the first time you go in and find something. And hunt it is your very best chance to be successful. In fact, my favorite way to hunt, and I appreciate my kill more than any others, is if, if I go to a place I've never been and, and just just leave my truck and walk in there with everything I need to find what I'm looking for, set up on it, and make a kill, and find my deer, and quarter him up and pack him out, totally independent of outside help, all of my own. That's, that's my biggest accomplishment for me to to pull off something like that, you know, and uh, and that's that's just being ready to climb when you find something right. I mean, you go in there that first time and and you climb up and and uh, it, they don't have time to figure you out. Would you consider a lot of your deer hunting spots to be uh, low deer density or high deer density areas? I've had both, and I enjoy the high density much more. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you could take the best hunter in the world, the, the Mister Everything hunter, and and put him in a in a less to be desired area, and he can't come close to com- 
to accomplishing what a, a novice can in a real good area. You know, they just can't compete with them. It's, it's all about location. And then, of course, experience and knowledge and effort and all that plays into it, too. But, but uh, you know, it, it, I value high-density areas. They're really good. And I'm not a trophy hunter either. You know, I'm not worried about them big horns and all that. I like the thrill of the hunt and the kill. You know, that's, that's, what, that's well, what I'm looking yeah, that's for. That's right. That's what advice would you give to guys that are hunting low deer density areas and, and doing the mobile thing? I mean, do you think it still has merit uh, as far as being in a low deer density area and moving around, or or do you find yourself wanting to uh, sit a little longer uh, to wait for something to come by? Well, you got to have the sign to set up. That's the main thing. You know, just to, just to go in there and say, boy, this is pretty, you know, maybe want to come by here and climb, and that's a real low percentage hunt. You You want to... You want to? I, I thrive to make high percentage hunts on on uh, on primary feed sources. That's what I. That's my main deal right there. And I can catch them traveling from one area to the other. It's probably if I look in my book here, I got all the methods I've used to kill deer. It's probably twenty five or thirty different methods I've used to kill deer. But uh, but uh, I'm looking for sign. You know, I just don't want to hope one comes by. Now I've hunted a lot of areas just as a observ- observatory, just to see what's coming through. You got. I don't know if you're familiar with flow areas or not. I kind of named them that myself. It's these deer. They when they travel from point A to point B, they they take advantage of any kind of cover or or elevation change or density of the woods to to be hidden. And uh, I mean, you look at these woods. They all might be open in there, but you're gonna have some places in there that you're gonna have a little lower elevation. Or you're gonna be a little bit thicker than there's other places. And these deer know where those are, and they they get what they flow they don't run a, a trail like a straight line from point a to point b they're going to flow through this area taking advantage of the best cover they can find as they go through there well once you find one of those places you can continue to use it to your advantage until something changes to that area to make them not it might be valuable to those deer anymore so you know i've done a lot of just just climb and watch the area to see if i could pick up that moving and then once you find it you move in closer to it, and that's when you can set up for your bow hunting and really do good. Do you, do you like the, like the, the <laughs> do you like the pre rut or the peak of the rut or post rut or uh, you know speak to uh, the October lull? I mean, speak to to uh, the, that that. I, I don't. It's all either a lull to me or it's, it's going real good. <laughs> one <or the> other. <laughs> I, like I don't use all the famous ter- uh, at fancy terminology and stuff. I just uh, I just hunt every time I can and make the most of it. I, I like to watch moon position too. I've I've, I've uh, got a lot of value in that in that moon position being straight up and straight down. Uh, I, I've seen it work. You could set your watch by it. It's just amazing how close it's been sometimes. Now, it might have been just a, a coincidence, but it happens too often that so, I've seen. So the moon, the moon is like the most uh, controversy uh, thing in the Whitetail Woods, it seems, and there's guys like you that swear by it and other guys that say that there's nothing to it. So I would love to hear... I was just talking to a good friend the other day, or a, a new friend the other day, I should say, uh, about blacktail hunting, and he was he is he's adamant about the moon and how it affects the uh, migration and how it affects the uh, the rut, and so I would love to hear your take on the moon. Well, you know, I, I keep all these records we've been talking about, and I. 
I always knew and I recorded that I seen twice as much movement during the week of the first quarter and the last quarter as I did the new moon and the full moon combined. I mean, it was just, it just I had it wrote down. Like I see it. I said, I'm seeing all these deer in the first quarter and the last quarter. I'm seeing nothing during the new moon and the full moon. I don't understand. I couldn't put it together other than to just make sure I hunted during those periods that I knew was better. And then all of a sudden, a guy named Jeff Murray from up in Minnesota came out with the the Deer Hunter's Moon Guide. And he had a book on it and everything. And and, uh, he explained that these deer have an incredible urge to get up and move when the moon is straight overhead or underfoot, directly underfoot. uh, What what does that mean, uh... Uh, uh, overfoot and underfoot. I've been hearing that term thrown around here lately, and I, I don't understand. Well, when you when you got a moon and you look straight up in the air, and you can go to these websites and they'll give you the time it's underfoot, and you can add twelve and a half hours to that, and that's when it's going to be overhead or, or vice versa. You know, it's it, uh, you just got to study a little bit. It's kind of complicated, but uh, but I I know it works. But the, these the, uh, it's just. Overhead, and they got. I'll have to send you that. Send you that. Uh, at moon underfoot, it might be able to Google moon underfoot times or something like that, and they come up with okay. it. But uh, these deer, they just have an incredible urge to get up and move in, and and then deer feed over six hours too. You know, they they fill up and then go lay down, chew they could and everything. So they're in this this uh, primary time a hunt would be the moon straight up or straight down, and then you add six hours to it. Well, that's that's a uh, that's a secondary feeding time when they're going to get up, and then you add six hours at it's back to a primary time again. Another six hours, it's a intermediate, and so forth. You just it's a it's a cycle deal and everything. But uh, I, I was on a jo- going on a job one time, and, and my son was riding with me, and we was working on the same job, and we parked in the parking lot. He had rode with me. I had my truck and everything. And I keep all my hunting stuff in my truck during the hunting season, and and I was in the parking lot, and we'd load it up on a bus, and they'd take us inside the plant. And I got on that bus, and it was the first frost we had that morning, and the sun was starting to come up, and it was a beautiful bluebird day, man. The wind was out of the north, and it was just killing me to be going in there and go to work. And I and I told Kelly, I said, Kelly, get a ride home. I'm going hunting. <laughs> you knew what the moon time was going to be. And the moon time was going to be about, about 10 o'clock that morning. And, uh, I took off and I had to drive for about an hour and a half and had to walk another hour in to get where I was going. And I got there about uh, probably an hour and a half, two hours before moon time on a, on a creek crossing. And uh, I didn't see anything until that moon time. Just when it got to be at moon time, I counted 23 deer across that creek in the next half hour. And I sat there at the dark and I never saw another deer. I mean, there was right on that moon time. They were on their feet traveling right during that time. So it, that's, that's just one instance. I could tell you instance after instance where it happened. Did Did you lose your job that day? No, no I was. They 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 needed me. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, everybody knew how I hunted. It just if they were surprised, he'd see me on a job during hunting season. <laughs> I had one oh. guy. He He was a supervisor, but he was over another craft. But he They wound up putting him over us. He didn't really know me. And I was working on a job, and and I. I the season started, and I, I worked a day, and I took three days off, and I come back. And uh, he come told me, he said, he said, man, he said, where was you at? And I said, I was hunting. <laughs> he said, well, 
said, how much do you plan on hunting? I said, well, I'm going to work about two and a half days a week, and then I'm going to hunt the rest of the time. He said, oh, that's not going to work. And I said, well, why not? <laughs> he said, well, you, we need you here. And I said, well, I need to be in the woods. And he said, well, I said, I tell you what, just go ahead and lay me off. Give me a reduction in force, and everything will be good. Yep. So he laid me off, and. And I, I went hunting the rest of the season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how you, we went from moon time to that, but we made it anyway. <laughs> so, so, do you plan your hunts uh, according to the moon to this day, or or, or uh, most of the time? I I try to. I'm I'm well aware of it. Like today's time was around midday, like eleven to one or something like that. And I I made a I made the first three hours of the morning hunt and didn't see anything. I, I knew it was the middle of the day, but I just Sometimes it's hard to make yourself. That wasn't prime time. But on that moon time, when that moon is is straight up and straight down, and it's during the first quarter and the last quarter, early in the morning and late in the evening, that's what makes it. That's why I was seeing so many deer during the first quarter and the last quarter because uh-huh. that coincided with the moon time being straight up and straight down in the first two or three hours of uh, daylight and in the last two or three hours of uh, daylight. And and once I he put that he put that uh chart out on on the best times to hunt and everything and i could study what he had and i got to compare it with the records i had and i said well that's what it is i said it's all around that first quarter and last quarter that's going to be your best times and you when your moon is overhead and underfoot when it's new and and full it's during the middle of the day that's the middle of the day times and the first quarter and last quarter is in the early and late part of the day okay times that just that timed it all out for me right there. In fact, I I contacted contact that guy and he put out some videos and I I contributed some footage for his videos and he sent me a book and some charts and all that stuff. Okay. It, does 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 it affect the rut? Do you feel besides just feeding? Oh, it's, it's three things that 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 affected in a negative manner. One is is hunting pressure. The other is the rut, and the other is weather conditions. But it, when you throw those three out, I mean, you, it's it's like setting your watch on it. It's really, I mean, I, I've seen it time and time again. Even right down the road, I know what the moon time was. And you can see deer at, at 9 o'clock out there, you know, moving around or whatever. Wow. Uh, it's really interesting. Huh. I, I believe in it. And of course, you know, I, I knew it had something to do with it before he come out with that deer hunter's moon guy, too. Okay. Well, you got you got any more questions, Robert? Yes, I do. Um <laughs> I know you said, I heard you say earlier that, uh, you don't use a climber. They're too dangerous. I just bought a climber. So, uh, could you help me out there? Tell me what's up. I, with that. I, I didn't say they were too dangerous. I said, I was just scared to death of them. I, oh. I've got on them before. You know, I've always, I started off climbing with, with spurs and, and I got my hands on the tree. I got physical contact. Anything goes wrong. You know, I, I, I feel like I can hold on to the tree and support myself. I, I, I feel like I'm in control. Yeah. But on that climber, I, I got on a friend of mine one time, and that thing scared me to death. I'm sticking out way away from that tree, and the, that thing is clickety-clacking, and and it, I had one slip on me a little bit, and I said, man, if I ever get down on this thing, I'll never get on another one. I was just scared of the process, I guess. Yeah. I don't trust it. Okay. Now, it w- I, when- on, I can run up a tree. Or I used to go run up now. I don't run nothing no more, but... <laughs> But uh, now, I used to run up and down them trees like cat squirrel. You know, I didn't pay attention to it. But uh, and, but the, something about not having any contact that tree I'm climbing. You know, it it it, it bothered me big time. You made but, a a comment uh, referring to some habitat as a cutover. What's a cutover? 
that's where loggers go in there and they clear cut a place and it grows up real thick and everything. It's, okay. it's a log operation that creates dense areas covered. That's something else I, I hunted a lot too is SMZs. That's a streamside management zone. And you got these creeks that, that uh, they, they're real crooked, you know. They got curves, S curves in them and this, that, and other. What those loggers do when they get ready to cut a uh, cut a lot out, you know, go in there and, and, and uh, do a select cut or either a clear cut. Select cuts, they just pick certain trees they want to cut, and they leave a lot of trees. Yeah. Clear cut, they just wipe it out. It's just clean off every tree out there. Yep. Well, what I'd, I'd do during the week, I'd study my topo maps, and I'd, I'd find all these uh, these creeks and then and the national forest up there and, and the roads that uh, were referenced to them, and I'd, I'd look for places that, that, you know, they might have some SMZs. And then during the weekend, I'd, this is all off-season, I'd drive up there, and I'd ride those roads, and I'd see where the cutover was, and I could tell where the creek was behind it. And I'd walk at that woods line on the edge of that cutover all the way to the creek. And then what they do on that creek, they draw a straight line. They don't cut all inside those curves and outside. They'll draw a straight line along parallel with that creek, and everything on the outside of that line is in the curves of the creek. And and that leaves a lot of big uh, feed trees all up in there. And then once that cutover gets like two years old or something like that, it's so dense and thick out there, it makes a good bedding area for the deer. And they'll lay out in there. And then these oak trees, uh, a deer, they'll get up and feed during the middle of the day, but they usually don't travel. they got daytime bedding, bedding and feeding areas and nighttime bedding and feeding areas. And they travel, you know, first of, first of the light back to the uh, daytime bedding and feeding areas. And then late evening, they travel from their... Nighttime bed and feed back to the. I mean, their daytime back to the nighttime. I'm, I guess so. I'm so what you're saying is they're leaving a riparian buffer zone in the creeks. They're leaving the that's trees right. big, and then and then, and, and then you got the reap rod, the, the the new growth that's creating the thick bedding area, and you're hunting that that transition. That's it. I'm hunting in those oak trees, and what I do, I go in there, and you'll find these oak trees, and they get hot. Well, these deer. They don't have to travel in the middle of the day. They're not going nowhere. They might just have to step out. You know, they, they get up and they walk 20, 30 yards and they feeding on an oak tree. And they don't mind doing that. Plus, it's back behind all that cutover. It's, they, nobody walking around in there or nothing. I can go in there and hit that creek and slide down that creek, find one of those trees and get up on it. In the middle of the day, one of them comes slipping there and get him some acorns and I get a shot opportunity possibly. Then he gets, so, him, you know, gets him an arrow. Yeah, hopefully. You know, yeah. I've missed a bunch of them now. <laughs> how, how many have you missed? Oh, I don't even talk about that, man. I'm terrible. <laughs> I know you I'll tell you all my stats. I'm not telling you that. That's embarrassing. Good gracious. I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, but, man. Uh, but I've enjoyed it. I really had I had a great well, great life, that's for sure. I got a good family and had a, had a good, good hunting uh, career. So, uh, what, uh, do you have any goals left, uh, you know, that you, you would like to accomplish, uh, uh, before your time's up? Uh, well, you know, I, I'm gonna tell you a little something. I, I'd been wanting to kill a hundred deal with a recurve for a long time. That was a long time ago. And when I did that a few years ago, a couple of years ago, it's like somebody let the air out of a balloon, you know, like I'm, well, I'm done, you know, I, I didn't done just about everything I wanted to do. And, uh, but now you know, I just told you when I first started talking, I said, I like to kill deer when I'm 85. That might be my goal right there, to be able to kill one when I'm 85. <laughs> That's a good one. 
Um, well, why don't, why don't we wrap this up with uh, another one of your uh, classic hunting stories? Oh, I tell you, one almost drowned. How about that one? <laughs> I love it. We could talk all night. <laughs> uh, it was it was late, late uh, January, right at the end of the season. I was making one of my last hunts, I guess, and, and uh, the had a big creek I had to cross to get to the area I wanted to hunt, and it, it was kind of in flood stage. It had a lot of rain and everything, and usually you could walk across this creek with knee boots, just lacrosse knee-high boots and everything, but it was it was raging 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 river there and uh, i talked to my hunting buddy about it and uh where the best place to be crossed was and it had a dog tail curve in there where it, it just looked like a, a pointer dog it went to a little old point and it was narrow crossing right there and he said i he thought i could get across there and uh so i went in there and and, and looked at it and it, it wasn't very far I, I brought my hip boots had those on and uh, but it was real swift, and it's sandy bottom, and that sand was real unstable. And I, I, I had my had my stand on, I had my Alice pack on the back, I had my my 35 millimeter camera, and I had my video camera, and I had them in plastic bags. But I forgot to seal the one on my on my uh, 35 millimeter camera, and and uh, and it, but I got water in both of them anyway. But anyway, I started wading across that thing, and got in that current, and uh. At, at, at my my, I went to t- step up high. I was almost to the bank, and I stepped up real high with my my right leg to take a step, and my left leg just sunk in that quicksand. It just went all the way down to my hip, and that water was pretty deep. So all I had was my head sticking out. And the current laid me back and took me down. And uh, I don't know, I don't know what happened. I'd like to have video or something. I, somehow or another, I, I managed to get up and and get across on the other side of that bank. But it was it was about 28 degrees that morning. And uh, I, 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 I thought something was wrong when I started climbing up that bank on that other side. I couldn't hardly walk. Well, I found out later those hip boots had filled up with water, man. I didn't tell how much they weighed, you know, a hip boot full of water. And uh, so I got over there, and I managed to get them hip boots off. And, and, and then I took all my clothes off and dried them out and everything. And took my video camera out and opened it up, took the film out and hung it on a limb and got my 35 millimeter camera out and shook all the water off it and everything and, and uh i said man i didn't know what i was gonna do and i i thought about uh thought about uh going on and make a hunt and i said no it's too cold man you'll get hypothermia but i'm gonna have to cross that creek again so anyway i got my clothes all back on i went up the creek about another oh i don't know a half a mile or so and it wasn't as bad up there and i crossed it and went back to my camp and then i cleaned up and everything and then come back in there and made a hunt the next morning i didn't i didn't go back that evening made a hunt the next morning and missed a nice eight point but the funny part was i had i killed a real nice eight point that was i had the pictures on that camera on that film this was 35 millimeter film and uh it was a, he had a 22 inch spread on him it was an eight point with a 22 inch spread one of my better books and i had on that I was word that that uh that film he got messed up and i'd lose all the pictures on him and everything and so when i got to the camp i took that film out of course at 35 millimeter you got to rewind it and i rewound it up and it was <laughs> had sand and stuff in it and i said oh man i'm gonna lose my pictures so anyway i took them got them developed and they come out and and i had a couple of them that was ruined and a couple of them that had streaks in it and a couple of them it turned out really i take a lot of pictures because you know you take a bunch of them and you take the best one and use it yeah and uh they turned out good, but one of those pictures, 
it's, it's the coolest looking picture you ever want to see. I mean, it's, it's me and the buck, and he's got these weird looking streaks, and it looked like somebody enhanced that picture some kind of way with some kind of crazy streaks. And that's where that sand scratched that film when it re-rolled it. No thing. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that was a that was a little survival hunt I made right there. Man, that's awesome. I've, uh, have you thought about writing a book? You know, uh, my the book is wrote. I don't know if you went to that outdoorcore.com and the Walmart journals. Did y'all look at that? Uh-uh. I, I looked at it briefly, uh, but didn't have enough time to go through it, but I definitely want to spend more time on there. He's got it like a form. Uh, a lot of, I got a lot of stories in there that, you know, I, I got all, it's all done, but I, I'm intimidated about putting that together. Plus I don't kill the big bucks. That's what everybody's interested in. These Booney Crockers and Pope and Young. You know, I, I don't do none of that. I'm just a deer hunter that likes to hunt and try to be successful. So, but my wife's been after me for years to write a book. I yeah, said, nah. I, think it, I think you'd be surprised. Definitely, I'm just a regular old guy. Write a book. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you got a what kind of what kind of advice? I mean, not just deer hunting advice, but what kind of advice do you got for uh, us us young guys coming up in this? Uh, you know, what, what what could you leave us with? Don't wait till you get old to do what you want to do because you'll either won't be able to do it or you you, you uh, won't want to do it by then. Do it when you're young and while you can do it, and don't worry about the future. I like it. I like That's it too. I'm That's tell awesome. Tell my wife tonight. <laughs> Plant some more hunts. <laughs> yeah, don't wait till you get old. You you won't do it. You won't be able to do it. Yeah, that's all awesome. right. That's that's awesome. Well, I Warren, uh, I I'm proud. I did. Yeah. No regret. No regrets. Right. None whatsoever. <laughs> I love it. And you. So for the people watching, you're, you you no longer sell any of your DVDs, right? Are you done with that? No, I don't. I don't sell. Them. I, you go to my YouTube channel. Okay. I got a lot of on there. Well, but they, they're they're when I. We live out in a rural area, and I don't hadn't had high speed. Just the last couple of years, I've had high speed. So all, most of those videos on there were put on dial-up, and I kept them real short and the quality down low, so you know it helped speed up di- downloading them. And I, sometimes it take three hours to download one of them one-minute videos on dial-up. <laughs> it was terrible. And now they they better since I got high speed, but I don't put as many on there. About put all I want to put on there now, but. I got over 200 uh, clips on my YouTube channel, so you can get an idea of my hunting style and everything on there. Well, awesome. tell 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 us where we can find your YouTube channel and your website. My YouTube channel is WHW103, and uh, and the uh, the website is the OutdoorCore.com, the Womack Journals. It's the third form listed on the on the main form page. Womack, awesome. or you can you can Google my name, Warren Womack. Uh, Walmart journals and i'm sure it'll come up awesome that's that's awesome uh i'm gonna definitely get on there and spend some more time and check it out I got a lot of stuff on on uh on my style of hunting there i mean uh i had a lot of people email me and phone calls and ask a lot of questions and stuff and i i put my style of hunting and all that is is my answers to a lot of questions and uh it'll take you an hour or so to read that that's like a book itself right there Okay. Well, I think we could sit here and talk to you for like 10 hours. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate uh, that. Yeah. So um, I'll definitely stay in touch, and we really appreciate you taking your time out this evening and sharing all this with us. Well, if you can't tell I enjoyed this, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, and I, I look for I look forward to uh, hearing about you uh, taking a buck at eighty five. So I'll stay in touch. Oh man, yeah. I hope I'm still here. But if I am, I'm gonna be trying. Uh, all right. Well, good luck this season, and go out and uh, fill that freezer. All right. Well, look. Thank you for including me in your podcast. I really appreciate it. It's an honor for me. Yeah. Well, it was an honor having you on here. Thank you very much, sir. All right. Well, good night to y'all. Enjoy it. Good luck to all you guys out this fall in the Deer Woods. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Check us out on our website, tragquest.com. And don't forget to pick a spot, keep the wind in your face, and shoot straight.